Hello and welcome to the Vote Her podcast, because when you vote, great things can happen. Hi, I'm Mara Davis, talent booker, podcaster, pet enthusiast, and very excited to be sitting with Georgia's Legislator of the Year. Well, according to the Georgia Association of Educators. So that was a huge, big deal. So I, you know, it really is an honor especially coming from an association of teachers in this state. Well, congratulations. That's Senator Jen Jordan. She's running for attorney general of Georgia. Right. But right now I am Senator Jen and we are up at the Capitol doing redistricting. And wow, what a wild ride. So there's so much going on up at the Capitol. Was it good to go back in your office and going under the gold dome and uh, walk me through that? It, it actually, it's nice to see your your friends, you know, because you don't see a lot of these people during the year because you don't, I mean, of course you don't really live close to each other because that's the point, right? We all have different districts. Um, so that's always nice. It hasn't been great in terms of the redistricting process because it hasn't been transparent and it is exactly what we thought it would be, which is really just to hold on to power. Or Republicans. And it, from a nonpartisan organization, gave the proposal an F? Yeah, because of the fact that it, it, it's not competitive, you know, in the sense of uh, Democratic-Republican competitiveness. It doesn't reflect the state, you know, in terms of the people that are elected from these districts. There are 56 Senate districts. And so you would think that in a state as close as ours, I mean, we're 50-50 now, but let's even give it, you know, give the Republicans a jump ball, right? 45 to 48 percent Democratic, you know, 52 percent Republican. And in terms of the seats that are held in the Senate, it it does not reflect that at all. Now, you guys will work to tweak that a bit. That's not what it's going to be, or is that is definitely what it's going to be. So this is the deal. The Democrats have put together their map that actually got an A from the nonpartisan um, group in terms of that it is competitive, right? It's just a much fairer map. In terms of the Republicans, though, as we've said before, they're in charge. They have the numbers. And that's what's kind of crazy is that because they have the numbers, they can then determine and keep that power to keep those numbers, right? Even if even if they do not reflect the state in terms of, you know, who lives here and who the voters are. And that that's that's kind of sad. It is sad. It's it is. really disheartening. It is. Well sorry. Uh, uh, <laughs> I know. All right. Thanks, Jen. All right, that's it. We'll talk to you next time. Right. No, <laughs> no we, this is why we need you more than ever. So you were also a part of the Buxit. That's what Axios Atlanta, who again, we'll be talking to our friend Thomas Wheatley coming on our program soon in the next couple of weeks. They've called it Buxit. <laughs> I actually like that name because yeah. I think that that probably accurately reflects what it is. Well, I'm going to walk through of what I've seen and you tell me what happened. So they kind of stated their case this week on what it is on what they were going to do. And every, they had a hearing about this and you were there. So this is, this is what's ridiculous. Okay. There hasn't even been a bill dropped yet. Right. 
I haven't seen any language, and it has to be very particular in terms of this new city. And even though there hasn't been a bill dropped, and we have no clue exactly what that legislation is going to say, right? We have a Republican-controlled committee have this hearing, right, where Bill White, I mean, he literally was keeping time for the witnesses and, and was communicating to the Republican senators on the committee. It was, it was one of the oddest things that I had seen. I mean, he, it was almost as if he was running the meeting in some ways. And so basically they just put on their show. I mean, it felt a lot like kind of the Giuliani thing. <laughs> really? Yeah, where they kind of have their thing and they're right. going to roll it out and they're right. going to show their video and... And it's just a very one-sided presentation, but it revealed a lot of stuff because I think that that they really don't have answers to the tough questions and they really they really don't understand the ramifications of what they're trying. Right. And one of them I saw you point out was APS, uh, Atlanta Public Schools, which they're like, oh, basically with that Bill White. What I was getting, he was like, oh, they'll give us a pass because education's awesome. And that's not. Well, it wasn't even education is awesome. It was basically the <laughs> families in Bucket are so awesome that APS isn't going to pass up the tax dollars. But I will point him to the very name of APS. Atlanta Public Schools. That's very important. I know it's crazy, right? (laughs) That maybe Atlanta public schools is going to want to go to a whole new municipality city and educate their children. But if you don't want to be a part of Atlanta, you don't get to be a part of Atlanta public schools. That's just the way it is. And it isn't a situation where Atlanta APS may want to want to do that, right? It's not even one of those situations. Because he was like, oh, we can get together. Uh, We'll just make it happen. No, you don't get to do that. That's just not the way it works. And so that's why it's just kind of crazy. Any Anything that he doesn't want to answer in terms of the tough questions, he's just like, whatever. They're just, they're just trying to be negative. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You just showed a montage with Tucker Carlson trying to make Buckhead look like some kind of crazy war zone. Wow. Was Tucker Carlson on the montage? Oh, yeah. Wow. Is that public uh, online? Uh, yeah. Oh, so my gosh. That, that can kind of tell you this was not a fair and balanced presentation. Oh, you know what? I think with the school stuff, the, in their minds, they're like, well, you know, the, the good kids go to private school, right? This is my district. Yeah, right? yeah. I I know the people that live in my district. Yeah, a lot of folks go send their kids to private school, really good ones. But a lot of people are in my district or in that area because of APS. Absolutely. Because of the great public schools we have. I mean, North Atlanta High School. It, and gorgeous. Hello, uh, the uh, facility. Incredible. Yeah. And it, I'm just kind of like, Jackson? Morris Brandon, all these amazing schools. Sarah Smith. Sarah Smith. Like, these are kind of the crown jewels of the elementary world, right, that you hear people talking about in my district. And so the whole idea that, you know, oh, well, this isn't really going to affect people here, said by a man who hasn't lived here for very long, for like a hot second, and even apart from that, 
he doesn't have any kids going to school. It's it's something. And they've taken over the old $3 cafe on Roswell Road and Peachtree there. That's where the Buckhead City headquarters is. So I don't mean to laugh. It just, it all seems like a clown show um, in a way, but it's... it's Well, but, but this is the problem. And this is, and this is where we, as someone who represents a lot of people. Yep. Look, there are people with real, I mean, they've got real issues in terms of the leadership of the city. And, and it is legitimate, right? In terms of services and crime and City Hall just not really working for folks. It hasn't felt like. So that two things can be true. One is that the city of Atlanta needs to get its act together. That can be true, right? But it can also be true that this is not the way to do it. Okay, moving on. The Atlanta mayoral race was exciting. Wow. And unpredictable. Yes. So our last guests, well, a couple of weeks ago, we had Andre Dickens and Felicia Moore in the same show. We must have had. Oh, we knew. Oh, come on. (laughs) We won't tell everybody. I mean, we did have Kasim on, you know, a couple of months ago who came in third. But I think everybody was surprised that Hi Felicia or You Can't Buy Felicia. Felicia. And Andre Dickens are now going to be in the runoff coming up. That was spicy. That was surprising. Yeah. I mean, but it's, I think probably the person who was most surprised was probably Kasim Reed. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I feel like he had the most name recognition. He had the most advertising. He had the most money. So, but, you know, he conceded. He did what he had to do. and, And now we wait for the next round. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, there's going to be some deep diving on exactly what happened there. I mean, because there were, especially toward the end, I mean, you were getting text messages portraying <laughs> Kasim in not, in a, not a positive light. Well, Jen's referring to that because I, whenever I get like something spicy politically, I'll screenshot it and send it to her because, you know, she may not get them city of Atlanta and it was a picture of Kasim in a prison jumpsuit you know which and I've gotten that a couple of times and you know I mean I just honestly I thought it would be Felicia and Kasim in the runoff I was truly surprised by this but there's a lot of love for both of those candidates for sure there is and and from my perspective I mean they're both solid solid people and so you know they're different, but at the end of the day, you know, I think they really care about the city, and that's that's really just what okay. you want. Well, we'll keep our eye on that. That was all exciting because the Braves won the World Series, and that was exciting. But I think the some of the most exciting political news, besides, you know, we didn't get to talk about Trump going to the World Series. That was insane. Trump's photos with Herschel Walker there. And then that same around that same time, it was announced that possibly uh, uh, David Perdue it may run for governor at a primary challenge against Brian Kemp. Uh, is this a real thing, Jen? Yeah, I think it is. I mean... Yeah, I'm, that was my response too. Like, whoa, I mean, this it it would be a serious challenge to to the incumbent governor. I have to say, no, look, it's I'm not a Brian Kemp loyalist, but 
that man has been through the absolute ringer. I mean, I, I mean, you think of like how he's been beat down so much and now a guy he campaigned for he went out there and really hustled for david purdue and now he's gonna just stab him right in the back in this way Uh, that's tough it just kind of reminds me of that meme you know with the guy who's walking with his girlfriend and then he's looking back over his shoulder at the at, at, at another attractive woman and it's like it feels like it's Kemp and Trump and Purdue, <laughs> you know, because it is my understanding that Trump is the person behind really pushing David Purdue to run for governor. And so if that happens, you know, if they primary each other, who wins? I, I'm not a Republican, right? I'm not a supporter of Trump's, but I will tell you that. It looks like to me that it would probably be David Perdue. And it's very difficult to beat an incumbent governor. It just is because they have so much power and right. money. But at the end of the day, if Donald Trump is behind David Perdue and David Perdue has money, he has name ID, he has all the things. Right? He has a jean jacket. What? Well, <laughs> yes, he does. He does. Yeah. So um, and that's I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe Governor Kemp needs to get one. But <laughs> it's kind of one of these things where if if he jumps in the race, that is a complete game changer. Yeah. There was a great quote from our friend and guest on this show. Brian Robinson, who's a political strategist, Republican political strategist, and he said it's a scorched earth campaign uh, with these two. I mean, these are some really, really harsh words with this. I mean, I have to say, you know, as a spectator, it's 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 pretty spicy, but I don't want to say I feel sympathy for, for Kemp because, you know, whatever, you reap what you sow. But at the same time, I'm like, my God, he has done, he just gets beat down and beat down a lot. It's like a Greek tragedy, right? <laughs> yes, right. You know, you have all these characters and no matter what Kemp does to show his loyalty and his fealty to, to Donald Trump, he just can't seem to get him to like him. Yes. And so it's just crazy. But I'll tell you that, while the the rumors about this Purdue challenge were kind of yep. in the ether, um, I think after Youngkin's win in Virginia, it it may be getting real because now now it looks like that twenty two may be a better year for Republicans for real. Right. Okay. So that's a great segue because there have been a couple of things that I want everybody. Everyone, you know, Tuesday night, everybody was watching the Braves and everybody was watching the results of the elections. And of course, everybody had their eyes on Virginia because was this going to be a referendum on Biden's agenda? You know, obviously his poll numbers aren't great. The media is portraying it and saying people are not happy, which is interesting because it's like, look, the guy's got a lot of work to do. It's been a shit show of a year after a global pandemic, after an unpopular war, after, I mean, you know, the list goes on and on and on and on. They can't agree on Build Back Better, on infrastructure. Right, it's like Build Black Block. It's, you know, it's, it's like, what? It's like, what is this? It's seriously like, it's it's a tornado of just 
a cluster of so many things. But, you know, here the day we're recording, jobs report is incredible. People are working. The economy is humming. Things are things seem to be getting back to normal. We've got a covid pill. We've got a COVID vaccine. We got everything. But of course, you know, Republicans, as you say, can take their lap or their victory lap or, you know, let them strut. That's what you said. But there were some great hot takes that I want your opinion on. Okay. Essie Cup said uh, Youngkin was just a better candidate. He was just a good candidate. You know, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I mean, look, people were trying to kind of take this as some kind of you know, prosecution of the Democratic Party in some way. But, I mean, look, Terry McAuliffe, I mean, he's like Democrat circa 1996. Yeah. So it's one of those things where it was almost like just a retread. It was almost like a sequel that really shouldn't have been made, you know? (laughs) It was like, yeah, it was like, we really didn't need a season two of Big Little Lies. Right. Right. We really didn't. <laughs> we we didn't. really didn't. Just just stand on the one you had, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. Okay. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard said, McAuliffe's loss is a victory for all Americans. Why? It was a resounding rejection of the efforts to divide us by race, the stripping of parental rights, and arrogant deaf leaders. This benefits us all. Yeah. Let's not <laughs> quote Tulsi Gabbard on our podcast again. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we can t- we can take hot takes from anybody, but let let's kind of keep her out of it. Okay. NPR's Dominico Montanero credited the campaign against education on systematic racial issues with Youngkin's win, quote, Democrats have to come up with a convincing way to answer the often false charges about how children are being taught about structural racism in schools. Youngkin rode that wave and owned the issue. Your thoughts? I think it was broader than that. I think, well, let's take a listen to uh, McAuliffe at the debate. So first of all, this shows how clueless Glenn Youngkin is. He doesn't understand what the laws were because he's never been involved here in helping Virginia. But it was not. The parents had to write to veto bills, veto books, Glenn, not to be knowledgeable about it, also take them off the shelves. And I'm not going to let parents come into schools and actually take books out and make their own decisions. You vetoed it. So, yeah, I stopped the bill that I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. You know, I get really tired of everybody running down teachers. So we're just coming out of this pandemic, right, where, I mean, parents have been in charge of educating their children, right? They have been tagged with it for the last two years. And then you have McAuliffe making a statement about how parents just need to stay out of it. I mean, whether this is about, you know, kind of the race baiting, which definitely young can they, they tapped into, right? But there's a lot of other frustration around kind of education in the, in the school stuff, but because of COVID, right? Yeah, well, the, the thing that really fascinated me was the beloved commercial and the whole, you know, crazy lady on the right who, well, this commercial was, it one-ups the David Perdue afternoon tea ladies. As a parent, it's tough to catch everything. So when my son showed me his reading assignment, my heart sunk. 
It was some of the most explicit material you can imagine. I met with lawmakers. They couldn't believe what I was showing them. Their faces turned bright red with embarrassment. They passed bills requiring schools to notify parents when explicit content was assigned. It was bipartisan. It gave parents a say, the option to choose an alternative for my children. I was so grateful. But then Governor Terry McAuliffe vetoed it twice. He doesn't think parents should have a say. He said that. He shut us out. Glenn Youngkin, he listens. He understands parents matter. Join me in voting for Glenn Youngkin. I'm Glenn Youngkin, candidate for governor, and I sponsored this ad. Now, this obviously was effective. Well, it's probably effective because she never said that the book was beloved. Right. I mean, she like if you just listen to that, you would be like, what? What was this like? Some kind of erotica? <laughs> like, what are we talking about? You know? Yes. Well, the thing is, is I don't know. From my point of view, I, I would love for for my son to read a book and have nightmares and be so affected by it, where it's it where it's like moves you. That's what books are supposed to do. Well, what's crazy is that her son is like almost thirty now, and he's a lawyer <laughs> for like the Republicans, and I'm like. Can you imagine if you're that guy? And yeah. Like, the, you see that commercial and your mom's like, and then he woke up that night crying. And it's like, oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the, the argument that I always make is that kids in school, they have sh- active shooter drills. They now have to wear masks. They have the Internet. They have all this online bullying. You have girls having to deal with this body image all the time. They have so many more intense pressures. Look. Kids have access to porn 24-7. And if you don't think your kids have seen it or have looked for it or have talked about it, you are living under a damn rock because it is there. They have access to extremism. So the band... Right, there are predators out there. I exactly. mean, we know that that our children are being targeted every day. But, but and, and I think this is where really kind of this group that I think Young can really kind of hit, you know, and, and they kind of more voted against McAuliffe yeah. than for Youngkin. I agree. And I think it was more parents should have input, right? That, you know, you want to know what's going on. Yeah. I mean, with respect to Beloved and all that, that's, yeah, that kind of is just bizarre. But just the general proposition, they, of course, of yeah. course we want parents involved. We want their input. They should be. That that's how we successfully educate children in the in this country. What I did really like was this exchange uh, with Governor Northam and Governor Elect uh, Youngkin about passing the torch, and this was so refreshing. Stood out to you in your meeting, Governor Elect. What stood out to you in your meeting? Excuse me. What stood out to you in your meeting, sir? Uh, Today was today was the beginning of a friendship, and Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. And uh, I think that what's most important in a moment like this is to is to actually have someone who you can call and, and ask questions. And so I just appreciated that entire sentiment today. Um, it's also really fun, as, as the, governor, the governor said, that we share uh, one very important moment, um, and that is we both married up in a big way. Uh, and, and the good thing is that we both acknowledge it and recognize it. And, uh, and that's going to be a, a great uh, way for us to develop a future friendship as well. So thank you all very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you, sir. Yeah. The, the fact that we're highlighting that as some kind of major <laughs> achievement. I know. Shows you where we've been. Yeah. Yeah. So here's some other quotes that were interesting as we go into the Democrats for 2022. And obviously, this is very important to you, Jen. I mean, you are running for attorney general. There's, you know, there's, you know, everybody's basically saying, you know, Democrats, they're dead in the water. That's it. It's a red wave. It's over. It's a red wedding. Forget it. You're done. Just, I mean, like, oh my gosh, a red wedding. <laughs> Yes. I had no idea. So, um, like David Axelrod was talking about how rural voters, how Yunkin was really good at going out to rural voters. And he said, quote, showing up helps, showing interest, showing respect, coming to listen, and not just to deliver stone tablets, uh, telling people what's best for them. That helps. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm from rural Georgia, and folks, want to be heard. It doesn't matter if you're from Buckhead <laughs> in terms of the Atlanta Buckhead or Buckhead, Georgia. I mean, folks all want the same things at the end of the day. And so what we need to do, what Democrats need to do is we need to do a better job of communicating with all Georgians and not just people we perceive to be, you know, aligned with us. That doesn't necessarily mean we have to, you know, not uh, follow our values or or that kind of thing, but talking to people, you know, that isn't that doesn't hurt anything. Here's another one from Frank Luntz. He's a you know Republican GOP. Um, you know, he does a lot of focus groups. By the way, I participated in a focus group with him one time. Did you really? Fascinating in Go person. Ahead. Yeah, yeah. Before COVID. Before COVID. Okay, okay. And did you get to meet and talk to him or? I did, but th this is the funniest thing. It was when I was a state senator. Uh-huh. So I will say that his staff really didn't do very good job in terms of vetting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because I would not have let me on. Right. A, in a focus group. Okay, well, he, his point was, if prices keep rising and shortages continue to worsen, things will get even worse for the Democratic Party. On issues that matter, Republicans have a clear advantage. The question is whether Democrats learn any lessons from the, the election and apply them in 2022. I'm doubtful. So this is what's interesting about what he's talking about. The issues and the problems that he's pointing to are really problems that have happened as a result of COVID, right? This has nothing to do with Build Back Better or the, you know, Ocasio-Cortez and Carolyn Bordeaux, you know, fighting, whatever. It, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with, you know, supply line issues. It has to do with all of the things that have been impacted because in terms of our global economy, I mean, we've been knocked off kind of the rails. And so... My question is, I think he's right that those are the issues. I think the big question is, is that going to right itself before 22? Because we've worked on it. And, and of course, we're working on getting all this stuff, you know, back on track. But a lot of this stuff takes time. And so that's the real question. I mean, you know, Democrats may be victims of circumstance in that, you know, whatever it is, it is in 22 in terms of, you know, where are we at after COVID? And so that may be not, that may not be something that Democrats really actually have control over. 
Okay. Here's one from Dave Wasserman. He's a, a statistician. Oh, I like him. Okay. So he said, I wouldn't call the Democratic turnout a disaster. If you told me before Tuesday that McAuliffe would get 1.6 million votes, almost 200,000 more than Northam in 17, I'd guessed he would have won. It's more that Yunkin turned Trump voters out at phenomenal levels and the Democrats couldn't keep pace. Thoughts? Well, that's always been the thing in terms of when they win. I mean, if you look at 18 in terms of the Kemp-Abrams numbers, you know, he beat Abrams by 50,000 votes, right? What folks don't really understand is that Kemp outperformed Trump in terms of getting Republican votes out. So if you're able to kind of tap in to that, that extra, which is, are those Trump voters, yeah, you can, you can win. But that's what doesn't bode well for Kemp, right? Because it is those Trump voters that get you over the top. And if he doesn't have them, then there's a real problem. I kind of feel like with the Virginia, I think obviously the 2020 election, people who were Republicans went ahead and voted for Biden because they just wanted the madness to stop. And what happened in Virginia was people wanted to kind of, if you were like a lifelong Republican and you voted for Biden, you wanted to cleanse your soul. You're like, oh, that you know, this Yunkin may not be everything I'm about, but you know, he seems all right. You know, at least I'm going to get some of these tax breaks. I'm going to get my kid back in school where I think the education stuff did hit a hot button with some of those suburban moms. I don't think it's fair to paint him as an extreme racist. I mean, he's done some not great things. I'm, I'm not going to. I feel like I should give him the benefit of the, the doubt. I mean, I feel like when Kemp was elected and I wasn't happy about it, I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt when he was elected. And then it was like months later, you know, HB, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the abortion law came out. So it was like, oh, OK, so you want to give him the benefit of the doubt? I mean, or do we even need to care? I mean, is Virginia a bellwether? No, I mean, and look, I think we could take some lessons from it, but we are in such bizarre times. I mean, between the pandemic, between kind of Trump, that's what's also interesting for Republicans in terms of Youngkin. Youngkin kept Trump from coming to the state. Yeah, which was smart, right? Well, right. But that is not going to happen in Georgia, right? Trump is going to be all up in our election grill. So there is nothing. (laughs) I mean, it is going to be a very different kind of situation across the board. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which may have been an indication of, you know, him going to the World Series, which I think was a wasted trip for him because I, I remember we had it on and we were like, oh, do you think they're going to show him on camera? And we were like, of course they're going to show him He's on camera. Former president. Absolutely. You can't not. And of course they, they're going to, you know, give him tickets to the game. Any major sporting league would would do that. But it was, I think he thought he may have been getting protested or booed or or cheers or one of the, and it really was just sort of a big, okay. Like there was him doing the tomahawk chop, which, you know, whatever. It was just kind of like a, you know, it was, so it will be interesting to see what what happens with that. But, you know, in the heels of the rural voters, I mean, is, does this mean that like Kelly Leffler's greater Georgia is 
you know, doing a good thing. She's with those getting rural voters to vote who hadn't voted. Um, I, I don't I don't know if that's happening, but I mean, you can't just put on a, you know, a, a gingham shirt and then all of a sudden have rule people like following you. I yeah. mean, it, it goes. It's the same thing yeah. that we were talking about in terms of Democrats. Yeah. I mean, Republicans in the metro Atlanta area have the same issue where they're just kind of they're they're going to rule Georgia and kind of like patting people on the head and you know aren't you glad I'm here yeah and that that is not rural Georgia that is not the people that live outside of it yeah and that's something I think that Ossoff and Warnock have done a pretty good job of doing I mean they've really been out there reaching out um, but it is going to be interesting to see how Herschel Walker does that because he seems like he's the favorite right now I, I think. Look, I, it is one of these things that in terms of Trump's popularity with the Republican base right now, if, if you have his support, more likely than not, you're going to win your primary. I mean, I, I think one we need to keep an eye on is the Secretary of State. And I'm not talking about Raffensperger. I'm talking about Jody Heiss. Jody Heiss and David Bell Isle. Okay. That's his name. Right. He ran last time against Raffensperger. Okay. He's doing pretty well in terms of versus Jody Heiss. So let's see if the Trump support is going to take Jody Heiss over the top or not. But yeah, we are. Look, if Purdue runs and beats Kemp, we're looking at an all Trump ticket. Georgia is never boring. No. <laughs> Unfortunately. And I'm very tired. Well, finally, speaking of tired, uh, we'll leave you with this really great quote from our friend, Popcorn Nikki Haley. We seriously need to have a conversation that if you're going to have anyone above a certain age mm -hmm. in a position of power, whether it's the House, whether it's the Senate, whether it's vice president, whether it's president, mm -hmm. you should have some sort of cognitive test. Mm -hmm. Like, just like you have to show your tax returns, you should have some sort of health screening so that people have faith in what you're doing. Mm. And right now, let's face it, we've got a lot of people in leadership positions that are old. Wow, that's fascinating. <laughs> she really wasn't demanding that when uh, the former president of the United States couldn't even like, you know, name animals or whatever it was with that, that, that easy dementia test that he was doing on camera for yes. people. It, it's it's so funny how quickly things, you know, change when the shoe's on the other foot. Well, it's like, what about Chuck Grassley? Then let's get rid of him. Oh, there's, my gosh. And he's running for reelection. Uh, I mean, there's there's so many. And because I actually do think and I do not think that Dianne Feinstein should run for reelection. So 100% this, isn't, agree. this isn't about like, oh, well, you only think that about Republicans. No, no, it's time. It's time. It's time. So, uh, you know, and you know, I call her Popcorn Nikki because she went on a Twitter rant about that her popcorn gift came late. So it's just like I always says, like, I can't even believe like someone in that high <laughs> position. It's like you would would go on a Twitter customer service rant. Um, yeah, it's like kind of okay, Nikki. <laughs> it's 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 still it's just amazing to me that you would use your platform for that. <laughs> so thankfully, you've not done anything like that. Uh, well, I don't, <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. Anything you want to announce today? 
No, I I will say this. I think everybody really needs to keep a close eye on this redistricting stuff. I mean, there's really not much that that Democrats can do. But I think that the more that folks are keyed into the process and understand the impact of these maps. I mean, this is what's incredible. So the state of Georgia has grown by about a million people, right, in 10 years. All of that growth, or at least 99.9% of it, is from people of color, right? So in light of that, wouldn't you expect that there would be more districts that were minority, majority, or at least districts that they call them opportunity districts, where where people of of color or from communities of color really have an opportunity to run and, and, and represent those communities. You would expect that, right? Because that's where all the growth has been. That's not what we're getting. Yeah, that's really disappointing. It really is. It's really a bummer. Oh, one more thing I wanted to ask you about. We didn't talk about this in the pre-show notes, but I'm going to ask you anyway, because you're going to be the next attorney general of Georgia. The Amart Aubrey case, they announced the jury and there's 11 white jurors, one black juror. Uh, that seems a little murky to me. Uh, what do you think's behind that? Look, I think it's it's completely questionable. I know that there had to have been a Batson challenge, right? And, and I'm sure there was. And so a Batson challenge is basically where you say, look, look, look at this. This this is presumptively wrong and bad, right? This does not reflect the community. Sure. And then the person who made those strikes to get to the all-white jury has to offer basically a non-discriminatory reason as to why they they took the black prospective jurors and struck them, right? And so my guess is the defense did that. You know, they offered those non-discriminatory reasons. The problem is, is that this seems so stark that you really have to kind of question. I mean, because it shouldn't just be a matter of making something up. You know what I'm saying? It's not a good look. And it's so, it, that whole case is so troubling because of uh, what potentially the outcome could be and, and where that goes. Well, the whole point that there was clearly racial animus, right? Yes. Racial animus against a, a, a person of color. And then you're going to strike all the people of color? I mean, the people, it's not... It's almost like redistricting, right? Yeah. In the people who represent you, it should reflect the community. And in that, that jury, it doesn't reflect the community. Uh, listen, I've spent a lot of time in and around Brunswick, Georgia. So I know <laughs> that it does not. No, and I lived down there when yeah. I did a federal clerkship. And I know those people. And they're good people. And they deserve better than that. But at the same time, you know, you've got to let the process also work itself out. Hopefully the judge is thinking about this a little bit harder um, because I just don't want any kind of verdict to be tainted by this. Yeah. And it will be, right? That is such a tough, tough case. Such a tough case. There's an episode of The Daily that was on uh, with your friend, Richard Fawcett. Yeah. Yeah. With the New York Times. He's a he's a great writer. Yes. Just talking about that. And it's 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 really informative and, and interesting and, and, and really sad, but a very, very important case on many levels. And if anybody's interested in learning more about kind of bats in generally, there is this great radio show, but you can you can download it in podcast form 
from, oh my gosh, it's called More Perfect. Okay. And it tries to go through the various kind of important Supreme Court precedents okay. and rights and give the backstory. Okay. And so there's this great, great episode from Radio Lab and where they talk about how this Batson challenge, which is comes from the Batson case that went up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Okay. How that came about. And it is just a fascinating story. Okay. And I'm sure you listened to all the oral arguments, Supreme Court, on everything, right? Did you? I, I did. And it was very interesting. Uh-huh. And the, the biggest takeaway was you can even be a Supreme Court justice and still have to sit there and get mansplained. Oh, I mean. Uh, God bless them. God, I mean, Unbelievable. Unbelievable stuff. Well, a lot to talk about today, lots to cover. You're going to be very busy back and forth at the Capitol, but you're also campaigning. You're, you know, you're just, there's a lot on your plate. There's still a lot more to discuss, but, you know, we have to wait till next time. Right. And who knows this week of redistricting, what will unfold? What will happen? Oh. Will the, will Coke still be served in the coolers? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> will I be invited back again? Yes. <laughs> okay. But what we can cover next week is the congressional maps from from the Speaker of the House and the Republicans in the House has not been released. And my guess is that is more likely than not going to be the map that actually gets passed out by Republicans ultimately. And so we'll know by next Friday. And then we'll really be able to talk about what the implications are for Lucy McBath and Carolyn Gordo. All right. I can't wait. I'm very excited about this. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm excited. To- I know. <laughs> I mean, I am too. That's what's kind of, that's why we do this podcast together. All right. All right. We'll talk to you next time.